You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. I know what I'm doing Friday night. I know for sure what I'm doing Friday night. To be clear, I was already planning to be here, but now I'm for sure going to be here. Golly, what an incredible, incredible, incredible. Is that fun or what? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. A lot of stuff here. Thanksgiving. Anybody do Thanksgiving this year? Yeah. We had a great time. Give thanks, Lord, for he is good. Because that's the heart of it. There's all kinds of stuff to be thankful for. I'm frankly thankful to be alive. Because you know, with my melanoma, five years ago, that would been, I would have been dead by now. And the Obdivo is keeping it completely under control, and I'm going full speed. So I'm re- and I was able to be at Thanksgiving, all kinds of stuff. You know who these two are? Yeah, that's my granddaughters, Nicole and Joy. They both have rings now. Colton finally did the deed, and they're ready to go. So Nicole there will be on July 1st. Joy, we're not sure yet, but somewhere in the spring. And yeah. Really good. Love that. And they decide to season their rings by making apple crisp for our Thanksgiving. What a good, they both love to cook. And so I took this picture of the apple crisp, which soon was on the table. And this is David, my younger son's family, and Sam, his wife, and their parents, and Nicole, and Joy, and Sherry, and me. And we had a blast in Corvallis. Because Nicole is on the marching band. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, uh, I understood there was an event on Saturday. I'll just say this, the uh, bees are very thankful for the duck's gift. (laughs) And we're in Advent now. And for the next five weeks, uh, we will be doing uh, Advent series, starting today, a break in our John series, because our goal is that we pray with thanksgiving and rejoicing at the Advent of our Lord. Liz Gabriel made this really nice graphic for us, and it's in background here, our five sermons. So Emmanuel today, uh, Mary from Matthew, and Jesus the King from Mark, Son of God from Luke, and Light of the World on Christmas Eve from the book of John, the Gospel's Christmas. I just want to say, you know, I'm thankful for a lot of things, but one of the things I'm really thankful for is people like Joan Gosvenner. Uh, Joan has been in my life for as long as I've been at Lentz. She can't be with us, but she's online this morning. I just want to say thank you, Joan, for your faithful prayer in my life. You and others that are just supporting me, and I just really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Joan. You're an amazing woman. I want to talk about Emmanuel. The prophecy of Isaiah, really the, the first gospel, the first good news is in the book of Isaiah. So we're going to go pretty hard here this morning. So here we go. Starting Isaiah chapter 6. So first five chapters are just giving us the what's going on in Israel, Judah, and it's bad. And in this year, the king Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings, two wings that covered their faces, two that covered their feet, and two that were flying. And these seraphim were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy 
the Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of his glory. So we begin with Isaiah here as he sees the thrice holy God in this heavenly vision as he is just an ordinary man in the temple. This is not the prophet Isaiah, this is the young man Isaiah. And he comes in and sees this incredible vision. And we wonder, what do your response be? Well, his response is this. This is his response. Woe is me. Because I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live on people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord Almighty. He sees himself in light of God. And he sees himself and what he's in doing here, and this is the first critical thing, is he confesses his uncleanness. Instead of playing the defensive game, the deflective game, or the look over there game, or something like that, he confesses, woe is me, I'm unclean. And I've seen the Lord. But he didn't stop there. Because what happens one of seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the tongs of the altar, when he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. And look at this. Because the confessing man, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. So the man who confesses his sin openly before the Lord of all glory is cleansed. He had to receive God's good gift. But it didn't stop there. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now, Isaiah, instead of on his face and confession, is now standing up, and I see him like a little guy. Let me do it. Let me do it. Here, my send me. I want to partner with you, God. Because God's goal is not to have us on our face in terror, but to be standing up and serving with him, covenant partners. And God says, go tell this people. So all we see is the man who confesses his cleanse is now commissioned to go to Israel to call for repentance. Now, I don't know the history. They've got hundreds of years of worshiping other gods, doing violence to each other, and it's gone on despite other prophets, but Isaiah is going. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. And I ask myself, what is it that they're hearing? What is it that they're hearing? And I think the answer is, in the book of Isaiah, is back in the key verse to the whole book, Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118 says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they can be as white as snow. They're red like crimson, they can be as wool, he says. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. If you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what happens here is God forces them to make a decision by sending Isaiah to call to them. And his call is, if come, let us be together. And I ask myself, you know, what does Yahweh want from the people? Well, clearly, he wants them to be like Isaiah. Willing and obedient. And they'll eat the best of the land. That's the God of compassion and grace. What does God expect, given their history? He expects them to resist and rebel. 
and devoured by the sword. That is not God's desire. It's because the people refuse his good gift of cleansing, as we saw in the life of Isaiah. Ever hearing? What does God expect? Here back in Isaiah 6, he expects that they will not understand. Oh, they don't know what the call is. But no, no, they want to continue their own sin voids. Instead of confessing their sin and being cleansed, they want to stay in the worshiping of their gods and promoting their self-power. Unrestrained passions for pure personal pleasure. God forces them to decide. Because this call makes the people this heart callous, makes their ears dull, close their eyes. God forces them to decide and the repeated rejection of his call to come and be cleansed, because they repeatedly reject that, they habituate their hardness. It's not that God is making them harder because he doesn't like them. It's because his call to come and be cleansed is rejected, and every time they reject, their hearts get harder and harder. God's preferred option, that they would see with their eyes. Hear with their ears, understand their hearts, turn and be healed. That's his desire. And the good thing is, some do respond. Some do respond. But as a whole, they don't. As a whole, they don't. So, what's Isaiah's message? What's Isaiah's message? I know, I mean, you're supposed to answer my question, right? What's Isaiah's message? Isaiah 118, come let us reason together. There is sin of scarlet be as white as snow. That's his message. But Israel's rejection of the call to be cleansed leads to their hearts, their hard hearts becoming harder. But the obvious question is, what do we do when we hear the call for repentance, the call for confession, the call to come and be cleansed? It's the same call to us today. Same call to us today. How long, O Lord? Isaiah calls, how long will I say, come let us reason together? Their sins guarded to be as white as snow. How long shall I do that? And God said, until the day of judgment. And it's a horrible day of judgment. Horrible day of judgment. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Now we look back on that and see the Assyrian invasion that will come in 722. The Babylonian invasion will culminate in 586. Though a tenth remained in the land, it again will be laid waste. The terebinth, the oak, leaves stumps when they are cut down. And the analogy is here, judgment is like a clear-cut forest. Because Israel began as a beautiful place. But in the day of judgment, which they have brought on themselves by refusing God's call, to be cleansed, it'll become clear-cut. For us here in Oregon, this is a powerful analogy because we know what that looks like. We know what that looks like. If we stopped here, this would be horrible. But there's one more line. There's one more line. The holy seed will be in the stump in the land. What is this 
seed. What's well, enigmatic? It's confusing. It's, but I look back to Genesis 3, where God speaks to the serpent. And he says, I will put in me between you, serpent, and the woman, Eve, between your offspring. Well, that's actually, that's the word seed, zera. I'll put in me between your seed and her seed. Going back to Genesis 3.15, what is her seed? Well, that's Messiah and those who worship him. And what Isaiah has put in here in this passage is he's put in the holy seed is in the stump, reminding us to go back to Genesis 3, this promise of a coming Messiah who will crush the serpent. And we say, oh, I wonder if that's what it is. Huh. And this meditative wisdom literature invites us to come and ponder not only what happened in that day, but what happens in our day. Hmm. And my advice to you, watch the stump. Watch the stump. Well, the story goes on. Isaiah chapter 7, there's this enigmatic sign. It's not nearly as clear as we tend to read it. It's very enigmatic. Like, what is this sign, this birth of a baby? Well, let's follow it through a little bit. We say Isaiah's call. Now we say Ahaz. He is the son of Uzziah. He is now king in Judah. And King Rezim of Aram and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against him. Now, maps. Aram is up here. That would be Syria in modern day terms. Israel, northern kingdom, is up here. And Ahaz is king of Judah down here by Jerusalem, including Jerusalem. And what's happening is Aram and Israel want to get Judah to go with them to fight Assyria, the big bad guys. And so he won't do it. So they're going to come down and depose him and put their own guy as king of Judah. And Ahaz's response is, the hearts of Ahaz and his people are shaken as trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They're terrified by what's coming. But the Lord said to Isaiah, go to them. Take your son and meet Ahaz. Say to him, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because he two smoldering stumps of firewood because of fierce anger of resident and Aram and the son of Reliah. Don't worry about it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, Yahweh Adonai. It will not take place. It will not happen. And this verse 9 is a call to us as well. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. He's calling Ahaz to the kind of faith that Isaiah showed. He spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign whether the deepest depths or the highest heights. I'll, I'll give you a sign to confirm your faith, Ahaz. Anything. And Ahaz's response, I will not put the Lord God to the test. And we think back to Deuteronomy 6, where God says to the people, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa when you did, doubted his presence. And we think, oh, good job. But Isaiah 
instead of commending him for, I'm not going to test God, I'm just going to trust him. Isaiah says, you blankety blank. He says a little nicer than that. Will you try the patience of God himself? Why is Isaiah, Isaiah having such a bad day? Ahaz responds you to want him to say with, oh, I would never try God. See, Isaiah knows something's going on. Because you look over in 2 Kings, what we see is Ahaz, oh, I would never test God. I'll just trust him. What's he doing? What's Ahaz doing? His messenger Tiglath Pileser, king of what? Assyria, the big bad guys up in the north. I'm your servant and vassal. Come and save me out of the hand of the king of Adam and king of Israel who are attacking me. Is he relying on God? No, he's going to Assyria. Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasury of the royal palace and sent it as a gift. He's taking gold out of the temple and giving to king of Assyria. Is that trusting God? That's kind of like the exact opposite. Isaiah's, or Ahaz's hypocritical piety is his response to the Lord's call to faith. He's pretending to be oh so pious. In the backdrop, he's making a deal with the king of Assyria to save him instead of trusting God. So the Huilidah wants to buy salvation from the Assyrian army instead of trusting God who said Adam and Israel are going to come to nothing. And they did. Within three years, they're both gone. But that's not the end of it. Ahaz, the falsely pious man, goes to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. So he goes up north to meet the king, saw an altar in Damascus, and sent Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar with detailed pillars for its construction. And guess what? Uriah makes the altar. The king came back from Damascus, saw the altar, approached it, and presented offerings on it. What's he doing here? He took the gold out of the temple of Yahweh, gave to the king of Assyria, saw a nice altar in Damascus to another god, sent drawings of that altar back, and now he's coming and making offerings, not to Yahweh in Yahweh's temple, but to the god of Assyria in an Assyrian. This is unbelievable. Isaiah, that's why Isaiah got so ticked off, because God let him know what was going on. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and give birth to a son. You, young woman, will name him Emmanuel. Now, here's how it works out. This is how it works out. This is Isaiah 8. This is now giving us the rest of the story. Isaiah made love to the prophetess, his wife. She conceived, gave birth to a son, and the Lord said to me, name him. Anybody that names your kid this name, you should call CPS and report them for abuse, right? <laughs> like, come on. Meher shalal hashbaj? Well, what it means, quick pickings, easy prey. <laughs> What's he saying? You think you're so tough, Ahaz. You're quick pickings. You're going to go like that. That's the sign of the child. Because the people rejected the gently phones of Shiloh, the way of the Lord, therefore the Lord's about to bring against the mighty floodwaters of Ephrates, 
the king of Assyria, and all his pomp will overflow his channel, sleep into Judah, outspring his wing will cover the breath of your name, your land, Emmanuel. What does that mean? God will be with you. But instead of God of cleansing and encouragement, he will be the God of judgment because of your rejection and your false hypocritical piety. So what's going to happen here? Remember the map? Araman, Assyria. What's going to happen is Assyria is going to come flooding down and crush everyone. That's what God says. And again, coming back to Isaiah chapter 8. Raise the war cry, you nations. Be shattered. Listen all you distant land. Prepare battle and be shattered. Prepare battle and be shattered, he repeats. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Purpose your plan. It will not stand for God is with us. See, God is with us means the God of judgment is with you because of your rejection of his ways. Because you continue to serve and worship other gods, continue to do the way of violence and self-serving pleasures. God will not stand for it, and judgment is coming. So the name of the child, your toast. But that's not the end of it. This the Lord said to me, to Isaiah, with a strong hand upon me, warming not to follow his people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you regard as holy. Isaiah's called, God's called Isaiah's, God's called us. And this is very relevant in our day too. All the stuff flying around. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because the fear of the wrong things will take us away from God today, just like it did in the days of Ahaz. The call is he will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. If you reject God, you will see his judgment. Isaiah's response. I'll wait for the Lord who's hiding his faith from the descendants of Jacob's. I'll put my trust in him. Here am I. Remember, that's what he said back in chapter 6. Here am I. And the children of the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. What he's saying is in the day of judgment, in the day of judgment, we who follow the Lord will be signs of God's grace and compassion and his continuing call to repent and join God's good way. That's our role today. That's our role today. Same role today. Isaiah's faith trusts the Lord who provides the salvation of a baby who's Emmanuel. So you see Ahaz's hypocritical piety. You see Isaiah's confessional response. Now, let's go back and look at that prophecy, Isaiah 7.14. This is a perfectly valid understanding of that passage. Woman's going to be pregnant, and that baby's going to be your toast. But there's another reading. There's another reading to this. That young woman, the word Alma, it's an unusual word. Its normal meaning is virgin, a woman who's never had sexual relations. Can a virgin conceive? Sure, by stopping being a virgin, having normal sexual relations. But this is where it's weird. That about to conceive, that's not what it says. If you look at the Hebrew closely, it says, the virgin is pregnant. How does that work? How does that work? 
Did a virgin birth happen in the day of Isaiah? Did a virgin birth happen in the day of Isaiah? No. We saw the birth in chapter 8. Isaiah went in and made love to his wife, and your toast happened. And see, when you read this and you say, wait a minute, what is going on here? Virgins do not have babies, but that's what it says. And you think, huh, I wonder what that means. You look to God, hey God, can you give me a little more detail? And he does. He does. But you look at this, the day of judgment, distress, darkness, fearful gloom, they'll be thrust into utter darkness because of the rejection of what he does. We're not done. Isaiah chapter 9, when Israel pursues a way of political power, and again, there's obvious relevance for us today. Obvious relevance for us today. How many people are looking to political powers to save us instead of looking to God who calls us to be his messengers? How many people today are thinking if we can just get the right person elected, everything will be good? Well, I'm an old man. I've seen a lot of people elected. I've seen a little better in some way, a little worse in other ways. But the hope is not in political parties. Oh, there's, there, I mean, I'm not anti-politics, but our hope is not there. Our hope is in the work of the church of God. So I'm not looking for political power because that way of political compromise is the way of Ahaz. The other thing we look for is cultural relevance. I hear all the time the church must be on the right side of history. And it often comes in sexual ethics and such. No, we're not looking to be culturally relevant. We're looking to be biblical faithful. So the promise comes chapter 9. No more gloom for those in distress. In the past, he humbled Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are tribes up in the north. But in the future, he'll honor Galilee, the Gentiles, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Look at the same map again. Zebulun and Naphtali, they're up on the north side. And that's where the darkness is. That's where the invaders come first, is through there. But what he's saying, this will be a place of great light. And we who know the rest of the story in the canonical word know that Jesus is born in Zebulun. And he does his early ministry in Naphtali. And from the north, the podunk cities of, is where the hope comes. A child is born. A son is given. We read this earlier. Government be on his shoulder. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So much we could unpack here, but not this morning. <laughs> and he goes on. Greatness of government, peace, there will be no end. This is looking for a coming day of Messiah, which is not here yet. But we're called to be people who live in light of that. The Lord's dawn comes not through a king, not through an army, but through a child. And we're called to be like that. Isaiah 10. The response of the people is not good. 
Voters will make unjust laws, those oppressed decrees, to deprive the poor of the rights to withhold justice, the oppressed and my people, being widows, their prey, and robbing the fatherless. What would you come to in the day of reckoning? I look at this, I just saw a thing in the Oregonian on how much money was spent on the governor's race here in Oregon. $70 million spent on the governor's race of Oregon. Think what $70 million could do with some families that we minister to here at Grace. $70 million spent on political power to make, that's not the way. But what he says, although the 10th remains the land, remember this phrase? Stumps cut down, that's Judah, cut down by Assyria. But also talking about Assyria. Lord, the Lord Almighty will lop off the bowels of the great power. This is talking about Assyria. And what's Assyria? Clear cut. But here's the hopeful thing. Isaiah chapter 10, in the midst of all the judgment going on, all the disaster that's happening, all the military conquest by God's ordination and power is this. In the day of judgment, in the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. This is talking about a remnant who even in the day of judgment say, aha, and they turn to God. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people are like sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. So we look hopefully, a remnant will return. That's us, in many ways, who are so faithful to Yahweh and doing his good stuff today. And this is the word of Isaiah 11. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, its roots a branch will bear fruit. So in the midst of the clear cut, we find a hopeful branch. And I begin to smile, frankly. Remember the stump of Jesse? Remember I told you, watch the stump? Well, here it is. That stump that was just a seed is now bearing fruit. The stump sprouts and its branches fruitful. Now, you notice NIV capitalizes branch. Here's why. The word branch, Hebrew, is the word netzer. If I look in Matthew, which we'll talk about next week, Gabriel warns, having been warned a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. If you could see the Aramaic behind this, you would see that that's the word Netzeret. See where that comes from? What it says, that's not Nazareth, just a meaningless name. That's Netzeret. That's Branch Town. That's Messiahville. <laughs> and we could certainly expect that people from Bethlehem moved up north for economic opportunities to serve the, Rus the uh, Russian, huh, serve the <laughs> Roman armies. <laughs> I got too many friends in Ukraine. So it's fulfilled what he said through the prophet that he would be called a Netzerine. He would be called Branchy. See, what it's saying here is Matthew reads this and he says, it's happening in our day. The stump is branching 
And Messiahville is where Messiah is going to come. And then chapter 11, I love this. Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, this branchy shoot out of the stump. Wisdom and understanding. He will really know what's going on with godly wisdom to know what to do. The spirit of counsel and might. We see good people in government today, for example, but they can't carry out the good stuff they know what to do. They don't have the power to do it. He will have the power when he comes in his fullness. Knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he explains that. He would delight in fear of the Lord, and what happens is he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, but decide by what he hears with his ears. And what he will do here, he will trust the Lord's way, not his own perceptions. And that kicks us back to Isaiah, or Genesis 3 again. Because we see what happened when the serpent began to deceive Eve. God said, this is a dangerous tree. Don't eat it. It will kill you. The serpent said, check it out for yourself. It's a good tree. You know, eat it. It'll make you wise. So she checked it out. Said, well, gosh, this tree looks like just all the others. And it'll make me wise. So she trusted her own perceptions instead of God's direction and disaster. Messiah will not do that. And that's where we're called today. Righteous judge the needy, justice give decision for the poor of the earth. He will strike down the earth with a rod of mouth and breath of his lips. He will slave the wicked. He will do it God's way. And you get this picture in Isaiah 11 of a coming kingdom, which we begin now, because Grace Community Church is an outpost of this coming kingdom. And in this place, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, calf with the lion, and the yearling together with the little child will lead them. You know, the lion and the lamb don't lay down together. Isn't that frustrating? Isaiah didn't get it right. Bit romantic, but I love the picture. I love the picture. I love the idea that this is a picture of Grace Community Church. I love the picture. that a Democrat can work closely with a Republican, that a duck can work with a beaver. <laughs> and this little girl right here will dance in the aisles, leading them out of the way. Love her. Either harm nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, the waters cover the sea. And that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nation will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. That's my prayer for Grace Community Church. That's my church, my prayer for the churches of the Metroplex. That's my prayer for the churches in Ukraine right now. I've got several friends. John Markey just sent us a note. They did their Thanksgiving dinner there in Ternopil with no heat and no electricity. And they had a wonderful celebration in the day of judgment, the day of horrors. We've got it really good here in many ways. We celebrate together with the unity that comes only through the Spirit of God, doing good in our community. So it's faithful ones live, faithful ones live the way of the kingdom now, even though the kingdom is only here in part. 
We live it now. And we reach out with reconciliation. When we've offended and we find out about it, we go quickly and say, I was wrong. Help me understand. I want to build relationships. That's true for our place right now. I just had a conversation this morning with somebody who reached out to me and said, Gary, you really hurt me. And my pushy personality, I can do it without even, thinking, without even realizing it. And these people reached out to me. And I'm so incredibly thankful that they did. And we're beginning the process of reconciliation. See, that's what we talk about. Faith ones live this way. So it's a question. Worship team, you want to come up here? I'm going to, about, I'm going to land this plane in the next 18 minutes or so. That's the question. Will you follow the way of Isaiah, confess your sin, be cleansed and commissioned, or you follow the way of Ahaz, pretend piety, become defensive and self-righteous, and go make league with ungodly powers? My question comes back really to who you're afraid of, because we're in a climate of incredible fear right now. And one of the things that I find, I mean, this pastor might say, don't fear conspiracy, everything that people call a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Fear God in respectful obedience. He would delight in the fear of the Lord. Decide what he's, with his eye, decide what he hears with his ears. That's the call. And biblical righteousness. You've seen this before. This has been the social ethic of the church from the very beginning and Israel before that. Five basic points. Deeply devoted to the welfare of the poor and suffering. Deeply devoted to welfare of poor and suffering. The stranger in the land. Cunius multiracial and multi-ethnic. And delighting in the differences. Because unity comes in Jesus Christ. Staunchly pro-life. From conception to natural death. Committed to family integrity and sexual faithfulness in marriage. And a non-retaliatory ethic for personal offense. Those five are the foundational ethic of the church from the beginning. And we embrace all of those. Now you notice the first two, what party do they kind of get associated with? What party do they get associated with? Democrats. Next two, who do they get associated with? Republicans, kind of, sort of. Who's the fifth one get associated with? Nobody. <laughs> well, Christians, I hope. But I'm amazed how many Christians have, are not following that. And we, when we offended, we offend back. See, the biblical ethic is these things. And that's what we want to practice here at Grace Community Church in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's a tough way to do it. And we call for that. And that's part of what we're doing with Advent Conspiracy, just because that's coming up here very soon. This is just one piece of many things we do at Grace. Doing this idea, and the ethic behind this, worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. Very, very, very countercultural. We just went to Black Friday, and Cyber Monday is coming tomorrow. Have you got your stuff yet? Maybe Maybe don't buy it. Maybe take that money for that new iPhone or new... I'm a droid guy. I mean, this is the way to go, but... 
Take the money for the new phone or the new device or the new whatever, instead of spending on a new something, take another year with that. Send this money to people to help support Ukrainian refugees. Here in the United States or in Poland, I can give you, I can give you directions. Or just support people in our community. Money given to this church goes to support people like Immigrant Connection, to help people, strangers, get their papers. Look at the work sh Look at the shortage of workers going right now, and because of our present policies, it's almost impossible for people living in this country to get work permits to work because they don't have proper papers yet. And the system is so incredibly difficult that they can't get there from here. Immigrant Connection is one of the places we do help, but it's, we just need so much more. So go to Advent Conspiracy, click the button on the website or their phone app and learn more about how to help. This is one thing to get involved with. Instead of spending money on stuff, personal pleasure, take that money, give that time, give those relationships to honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Live hopefully in a scary world. I think we should sing. Yeah, what a great thing to celebrate Advent. I love Advent. I just love it. I frankly love giving Christmas presents away. I, it's so fun. It's so fun. I get to get on an airplane tomorrow morning, go over to Boise, and take a big bag full of presents to my Boise family, and they don't get to open them for three weeks. It's good. <laughs> I won't get to be there on Christmas Eve, but we'll do video and such. It's just good because God gave us such incredible gifts. But the thing of it is, we have to receive those gifts. And for those who refuse his way, those gifts turn sour. And the call that's on us, Grace Community Church, is at what point in my life, this is the constant question, at what point in my life am I Am I honoring my own perceptions of how things should be instead of God's direction of how things should be? You know, at what point when I'm hurt, do I hurt back? Because that's justice. God's call is no. It's for kindness and blessing for offense. That makes no sense. You're right. It makes no sense whatsoever. But it's the way of God. At what point do we look at the sexual ethic and all its different dimensions in our society and we get called bigots? I've been personally called bigots for my view on sexuality and worse words than that. Does that mean that I back away? And No. It means I try to express it more clearly and more kindly. As an old man, 54 years into marriage, and both of my bio kids in good marriages, my non-bio kids are in good marriages. Cindy's single, but, and singleness is, you know. But to live faithfully in a sexual ethic, that makes no sense. You're right. But it pays off long-term benefits. See, that's the question. At what point in the politics of money, in the politics of information, in the politics of power, in the politics of pleasure, the politics of sexuality, Satan has a narrative on all of those. And the way of Ahaz is, I'll do it that way. And I'll pretend 
I'll go to Grace Community Church. I might even serve in children's Sunday school. Who knows? That's a good thing to do, by the way. Will we be like Ahaz, hypocritically pious, or like Isaiah, responsively open to God's cleansing? That's the question that this Advent is here. So I call you as the opening slide, this Advent, pray every day. Lord, show me any wicked way in me. Holy Spirit, give me the courage to receive your cleansing and your anointing to take hope to a despairing world, to take life to a place of death, to take light to a place of darkness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving so much. Give us eyes to see your hope in the midst of stump land. Jesus, thank you for leaving the throne of glory to come here and experience the worst of our life to bring us a better way. Help us understand those biblical aphorisms, those five points, and live them out in our own way. Holy Spirit, empower us as Grace Community Church. Bring us into unity around Jesus Christ. In those places where the broken relationships and landmines and relationships help us find ways to defuse those things and come in to make every, to make, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit here at Grace Community Church as we serve you, Lord Jesus, in our community. We pray this for this Advent season in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change our world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.